I should go get my headphones, shouldn't I? Or that probably won't pair up with that. And they don't actually would pair up with the TV. We don't need that. <laughs> um, then, uh, so I got the Chinese food and I went over. There's no, neither of these. And those are the only 7-Up products I right. can eat. Okay, or drink. So I see the guy coming down with more and he's opening them. And the these two are on the bottom. So I'm kind of standing there, you know, and he's, I mean, that, whatever that sloth movie where they're working at the DMV. <laughs> Zootopia, yeah. Okay, Zootopia. It was like Dan Fogel, or whatever <laughs> that guy's name is, was starring in Zootopia. Cause he, and he just looked at me, and I was like, I don't suppose there's any chance you could, like, just open the those two uh-huh. that were two down. No, you're going to have to wait. Oh, what the fuck? So I had my Chinese food. <laughs> And I shoved it on. I put him on top of the pop that he was cutting open. I was like, you know what? Enjoy your fucking Chinese food, dude. Wow. And I walked out. And then I had to go to the, I had to go to the uh, car wash down here. So I just went to the other hy and they took forever. It's just it's like people. It was like it's an, it's not an apocalypse today. There's nothing. <laughs> it's just a little colder than it was last week. So. But everybody just decided yeah. to be at high V today and be assholes while they were there. That's lovely. It's a lovely thing to have happened. So I didn't eat my lunch until 3.15. Yeah. So then I was like, all right. Usually, I'll, if we were going to do this, I would have gone and grabbed some food. And then I'm like, I'm not hungry. But Plus, I started taking Adderall this week. So ah. that should should have helped. But Yeah. I might have to instead of taking a fifteen. I Beth Kedlar gave me some fifty or thirty milligram capsules, and I've been cutting them in half. But I think I might need to take the full capsule. I'm going to see how I do on Monday. I guess we'll see. <laughs> All right, I'm ready when you are. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everyone's a Critic Special Edition. Uh, today is Friday the thirteenth, and. I bet you can guess what movie we're watching because you know you know the title of what this upload is. <laughs> yeah, spies. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. I thought we'd. Uh, I thought we'd just switch it up, you know. So we're gonna watch. We're watching Friday the Thirteenth on Friday the Thirteenth, which is a, a cursed thing to do. Uh, it's probably gonna explode. Well, I do it every time. So, why is it that people are so afraid of the word, the number thirteen? I don't have, I, there's a whole, like, scholar, scholarship about it. I don't know why exactly, but, and it's like Triskaidekatophobia or something like that mm-hmm. is the name of being afraid of it. Um, I, I, I really don't know. I just know that people think it's unlucky and it's like my lucky number. <laughs> I used to play bingo with my mom at, at the church in town and I would always grab, a, my cards had to have 13 on them. Yeah. B13. So, I, I don't get it. I don't get. And the Friday thing has to be to do with this movie, right? No, no, no. Friday the Thirteenth was unlucky. Like, oh, that's why they chose that's the title. Why they chose the title okay. because Halloween had come out, mm-hmm. and there had been, you know, other other horror movies. So, hmm. so what we're gonna do now is, if you want to like watch the movie with our stupid commentary on it, <laughs> I'm gonna start the movie now. We're on the Paramount logo with the big mountain. So, feel free to watch along. And we're watching the theatrical cut, not the 
uncut one where you see more blood going into Kevin Bacon. So. <laughs> I wasn't aware there were more yes, than one. Yes, there's Friday the 13th uncut. Um, it was... I don't uh, It was on the, when they re-released the DVD. So there's a special edition DVD. And it's a, I think it's the one in the uh, Scream Factory box set that I have. Hmm. So... So you're you're a Friday the Thirteenth scholar at this point. Pretty much, I actually saw the first one in the theater. My babysitters were supposed to take me to see like some Don Knotts movie or Empire Strikes <laughs> the Back. Fisher Saved or... Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> like like Hot Lead and Cold Feet, one of those Don right. Knotts and Tim Conway movies. I think that's what we were supposed to go see, but instead they wanted to go see this, and. So they took me, and I never went to summer camp. I was supposed to go to summer camp that year, and I never did. <laughs> you were too scared to go to th- summer camp? Absolutely would not go to summer camp. <laughs> My mom was so mad, she didn't ask those, ba- those babysitters back for a long, long time. So now, are we in the perspective of, of our killer now? Yes. The thing about Friday the 13th is it it takes on a lot of that, that first-person killer perspective. Um, it's the cheapest thing you can do. In terms of a horror, is to if you want to hide your monster, keep a keep the camera in their perspective. Yeah, yeah. The um, the first movie to do it was Peeping Tom. Yeah, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yes, Michael Powell, amazing film. But with a movie like this, where it's a mystery, you really have to do that. I mean, you can't. It's, it's weird to even think about this, uh, like the movie with this kind of slasher reputation. To think of it as a mystery is kind of kind yeah. of unusual, but kind of interesting. Well, the famous part of Scream, name the killer in Friday the Thirteenth, Jason. Jason, I saw that movie twenty goddamn times. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not at all. Oh, horny camp counselors. <laughs> she is just eye fucking him. Uh, they're not even paying attention to the kids. Mm-hmm. So we're in 1958 right now. And these two unmarried people are about to have unmarried sex, which means they deserve to die. Yep, goddamn straight people. <laughs> What is it? For, what is your take on, on the idea that uh, sex leads to death in horror? Well, I don't think that really started uh, like being a real thing um, until Halloween. I mean, it was the it was implied that some of the characters, like in Black Christmas, you know, Barb was immoral because she drank and smoked and lashed out at people. Um, but in like in Halloween, the it, it's more about it, they're distracted, and I think that a lot of that is here too. In that, you know, I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody who hasn't seen it. <laughs> it is almost a fifty-year-old movie, however, or forty-three years old. Sorry, but you know, the killer at the end says they were making love; they weren't paying attention, and that's the thesis. Not that they were having sex. But that they weren't paying attention, uh-huh. and one of the things about horror movies, especially, especially these slasher movies with the final girl, is that the final girl is the one who seems to be paying attention. Laurie in Halloween, she was she was the only one who was aware of what was going on, 
um, you know, when she sees Michael outside the school, she's aware that somebody's out there. She sees him behind the bush. She sees him, you know, drive by. She's a, she's the one aware. And the other characters are so distracted by sex. Now, now at this point, who? I mean, we, whose perspective are we in? Because her is her son dead in 1958. Yes. Okay. So, so when did they? When Jason died. Jason died in 1957. Okay. He drowned. So a year later, she's catching up with the people who weren't paying attention. Yes, the last time. If if you if you think what what she says at the end is the truth, which it may or may not be, because she's fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll notice that she says they the counselors weren't paying attention. They were making love and that young boy drowned. Well, in the lore attached to the movie, I mean, if you're as into it as I am, they just. I love that pushing. Oh, yeah. I, I do love that. Go ahead. Um, I'll tell you a story about that one. That was actually kind of funny. The, uh, but she's she may or may not be. She might just have snapped. You know, he drowned, and it might not have been because anybody was doing something wrong. Yeah, she's not reliable in that way. Right. She's a <laughs> she's a murderer. <laughs> she's crazy, and she's killing everybody. So she's kind of the. The definition of an unreliable narrator in that in her own story. Um, we're of course talking about Mrs. Voorhees, who you don't meet for most of the movie, so you can't really talk about the movie without talking about it. So Tom Savini, the man does the man does amazing work. He really does, and this was this was kind of groundbreaking in that you didn't see this kind of violence and gore on screen mm-hmm. in your face. You never saw it in Halloween. Halloween was very tame. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there was almost no blood in the whole movie. You didn't really see anything. Because it was so incredibly well directed. (laughs) You know, like like Jaws, you didn't have to... You saw the shark, but you didn't see the whole Mm -hmm. shark. You you only saw a couple pieces where he was actually eating somebody. So tell me about the push-in. So I didn't know that was there for the first... I, I... I kind of blocked it out after I saw it in the theater. I was just so afraid of it. And then it was on HBO, and my uh, my brother and I were visiting our aunt, and it was on TV. And I just I I don't think I watched more than five minutes of the movie from behind my hands. Um, so I would I watched it on Son of Svenguli on WFLD <laughs> on cable. They'd have the afternoon movie. Yeah. Well. They were just really bad prints. And it is a dark scene, so yeah, if you're not yeah. watching a good print, you might not see the camera so pushes I, on this girl's face. Instead of showing her killed, you just see this look of horror on her face. And then a screen like yeah. it goes really bright and you see her finally like there and then it cuts to black. Yeah. Well it was such a bad print on Svenguli that it was just always black, and then they would cut to commercial. And he'd come on. He was like, "Oh my God! You know, we're gonna. You know, they're all scared, and you know all that." But then uh, they would come in with the credits. So I never knew that that was there. And then I saw it on DVD, and it had been like fixed up a little bit, and it was clear because mm-hmm. even my VHS copies were shitty. But I finally saw that. And I was like, "Oh my God! They added that into the movie. That's so cool." That was years later. Yeah. That was like I was a teenager before I finally realized that. 
I don't have much of a high opinion of, of uh, Sean S. Cunningham's direction, but I like that push-in. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this character we're starting with here. So you're meeting Annie, who is, you know, she's a potential counselor slash cook, which is the job Mrs. Voorhees done, did in the 50, 40s and 50s. So you would think she was, you know, sympathetic towards her, but no. Um, she's on her way to Crystal Lake, and we are... I don't want to turn this into a William Friedkin thing where we just narrate the movie, however... <laughs> Have you ever listened to one of his commentaries? No. Literally all he does, he narrates the movie. He's like an <laughs> omniscient narrator. And I'm just like, oh, we're going to meet Ralph. I was curious uh, if, you, if you've, if uh, you I don't know much about this actress, or or Ralph for that matter, but have you, how, you've met a lot of people. I have not met Robbie Morgan. They have done, uh, they've done stuff where they've gone to Camp Noby Bosco in Blairstown, New Jersey, where this was filmed. Um, they're talking about doing it again. I don't know if they're doing it this year. Uh, I've got to save up some money. If you guys want to do a GoFundMe so that I can see this, that'd be great. Um, she was there. You know, some of my friends have met her. She seems really sweet. I've met a lot of the Part 2 actors. Mm -hmm. And I've met Adrian King, who plays the uh, plays Alice, who's the protagonist in this one. Um, Ralph was actually, Crazy Ralph, the harbinger, if you watch Cabin in the Woods... He's played by Walt Gorney, who was a local uh, Northeastern actor who d- did a lot of theater and, you know, some television parts and stuff. He loved this movie. He loved doing it. Everybody says he would have just absolutely loved the fandom that grew up around this movie. Mm. Um, that he was just he was just so happy to be in it. And he by by all accounts, you know, he was he was erudite and a gentleman and all that and they just here he is playing this crazy town coot we grew up in the same town we had a lot of these town <laughs> most of them laying in ditches for some reason yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh bob now, uh the the thing about horror and that if you're not a horror person if you're not like really into it is that the even somebody as limited as say this truck driver could probably dine out on this on the horror for, oh, on yeah. the, for a long time. Well, the thing, especially since Comic Con has turned into Days of the Dead and Wizard World and all these things that have horror conventions now, and I, you know, I I go to these things. I sell my art there. I have a Ralph sticker that does very well. I sell at least a couple of those every month. Uh, my Friday the 13th stuff is very, very popular. Um, not as not as popular as my sexy Jar Jar t-shirts. Home, but... <laughs> the greatest horror you've ever created. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, a lot of the, because I like to, I like the obscure characters right. in these. Um, you know, Ralph, later on you'll meet Sandy, who's the waitress at the diner, who is just, she's a face. She is just such a face. Um, she just... You'll see her and you'll be like, holy shit, I know this lady. Yeah. You know? Um, what about exposition truck driver here? <laughs> <laughs> He's driving us into the plot. <laughs> I like, though, that, that they're giving her significance, even though we know, having seen the movie, she doesn't actually have much significance. Yeah. The movie is giving her some, and it's almost like Drew Barrymore in Scream in that way. She's she. You think she's Janet Lee in Psycho? Yeah. You know she's our she's our character who's 
She's getting the expedition ex exposition dump. She's getting, you know, she's the one who's going to this camp where these people were killed. Um, and and she's a quite a charismatic actress. Like oh, she's got yeah. your attention right now, like a like a main character would. She's got well, this was filmed in 1979, so she's got that spunky Christy McNichol, you know, look and Absolutely. feel, and you like her. You start. You really. That's one of the things about the original Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, they are all here set to be killed off, but you like them. That's the thing that changed in, in like the late '90s and into the early 2000s. And it's the the thing about horror that I hated at that time was that they made everybody so obnoxious that you're like, please do kill them. Yes. And it started to be once it started to be that that they treated Freddy like the star instead of Heather Langenkamp. Like yes. that's the you know. Well, so here's Horror starts my, to shift, and I, that, I really hate that. Yeah, here's my thing. So right now we're being introduced to Kevin Bacon's character, Jack, his girlfriend Marcy, and their friend Ned, and they're you know they're driving to the camp. What and, happened to that Kevin Bacon guy? I don't know. <laughs> I thought he had potential, but you know, he. Uh, the, what I like about this movie, um, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they didn't cast people who were blonde bubble-haired bimbo you know they these are these were actors from new york that were doing stage work and soap opera work and you know television stuff who were regular people and i think you i can imprint more on these on this movie the up until like the fourth one when you know they're more cannon fodder yeah can I ask you this? Maybe you'll know. Maybe it's just me inferring. The music we were just hearing there, that sort of backwoods uh, mm -hmm. banjo music, is that a tribute to Last House on the Left? Um, I don't think so. Although Sean Cunningham, you know, and Wes Craven did make that movie. That's all the all the incidental music here. You'll hear like a, a song on the radio. Like the song that was on the radio when they walked in, when Annie walked into the uh, diner, and then later on at the other diner. You'll hear that same song in a different key. That's all Harry Manfredini who did the music for this, which is iconic. You know this to the point where he he did this music for for this movie series up until I think part eight mm -hmm. when they switched to Fred Mullen with some of you know some of his incidental stuff. But are you talking about like the the shrieking strings? Yeah, yeah. To the point where I saw uh, Last House on the Left, or not Last House on the Left, um, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, and he did the score for that, and it is just a Friday the 13th score. <laughs> I, to the, I, uh, the I, Hills Have Eyes are, great, are not great movies. Uh, they're, they're passable. Hmm. Passable. Oh, and here's Alex and, or Alice and the horny Steve Christie. Oh, those, those cut-off jeans. My goodness. <laughs> But you know what? <laughs> I was seven years old when they filmed this, and was he an awakening? No, God, ew, ew, ew! Everybody dressed like this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. In Princeton, Iowa, where I grew up and you grew up, he that, does look like my brother Chuck. Yes, just a little bit. That was the look. You know the cutoffs, and they weren't going to go to the, they weren't going to go to the store and buy. <laughs> By shorts, they're just cutting off their jeans. They can get new jeans for school. <laughs> now we are introduced to yeah. Adrian King, who looks like a suburban mom in the midst of all this. She has her Dorothy Hamill haircut. Yep. 
this is what okay this is what when whenever we talk about horror movies and yeah. classics i sometimes we miss the fact that they are they are they're not contemporary you know these movies were made in the 70s and sure. in the 80s and they don't have you know they're not all it means is that our our fashion has just become so homogenized that it doesn't really it doesn't really stand out. You know what I mean? Well, this is true. <laughs> like something is distinctly seventies or distinctly nineties, but like the distinct look of now, what is it? She would have absolutely this. This was a very popular haircut that she had. It, it, Dorothy Hamill, who was the ice skater from the Olympics, everybody had. I remember. All the girls that I went to elementary school with were getting the Dorothy Hamill cut. All my babysitters had the Dorothy Hamill cut. Here we are back from the killer perspective again. Yes. Alice is going to meet Bill, played by Harry Crosby, whose father was Bing Crosby. Oh. He well, is this poor man was used to horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beatings will continue until the reality Those bruises on his arm got, got quite... Quite a story. Fun fact: His sister, the same year, killed Jr. Oh or shot God. Jr. Wow. On Dallas. Some of these, uh, this killer POV shots, are so close that if you kind she, of wonder, like, how would she not see a person? She's gonna be like, there. "There's somebody standing there. I don't want to like talk to her." But that's what kind of the inconsistency though of a shot ass Cunningham yeah. direction. He's a t- he's a tad bit inconsistent. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's such a low budget that he is literally driving the same Jeep as the killer. It's not just like it, it's exactly the same Jeep. takes place in New Jersey where I lived. I used to I drove by Blairstown a couple times. Yeah. I never did have the opportunity to go, you know, have my own car there, so I did not get to go see the camp. Is it open to people to go there? Well, or? they do uh, special events. They don't do uh, it's not you can't just go in there. It's an, a, a functioning boy scout camp. Oh, wow. So, they might want to change those targets. That might be just a little bit <laughs> That was irresponsible. That was very irresponsible. Man, fuck that guy. (laughs) Lori Bartram plays... uh, I just blanked on her name. Anyway, rest in peace. She died of cancer several years ago. Um, She was uh, the first of the the Friday the 13th cast members and the first few to... This is how you can tell that a man wrote this, is that she finds this fucking charming. That he just fired an arrow at her that narrowly missed her. Yep. That's how you know a man wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> Does not have a woman's touch. <laughs> See? Same Jeep. So you're... It's one of the, you know, one of the things that they're trying to... But they put the top up, so you know, yeah. you will never yeah. guess. Well, I'm just trying to mystery. You know, it's a mystery. This, this first Friday the 13th is a mystery. Who is the killer? Um, and right now, are they... They're not really throwing suspicion on the... the the camp counselor here, because it's kind of hard not you 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 know that he drove off what, how he drove off without the top on it, and well, why would they not show him in this situation if it were him? Well, again, you know, it could be him, it could be Bill, it could be any of the you know, if you're if you're not thinking too too critically about it, <laughs> it could be any of them. 
Unfortunately, I'm always thinking critically. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, the number of times that, that she takes her eyes off the road to look at... <laughs> That's a bit dangerous. Stop looking at her. <laughs> yeah, nobody is actually looking at the road when you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> if the camera is her eyes, they're going to be in a very serious accident. Uh-oh. Right now, the camera is staring at the person in the in the passenger seat. Now, I think she did her own stunts for this, where she jumps out of a moving car. Damn. That's a heck of a role if she did do that. Wow. Um, Amazing. Well, I know that like later on when a body comes through the window, that's actually Tom Savini dressed up as a woman. Um, you know, coming up here, we're going to see the first kind of on-camera murder, I guess, you know, that's like really graphic. Mm-hmm. Um for the life of me, it took me so long to figure out how they did this, and then I saw the cleaned-up version. Yeah, where you can see, you know, you can see the different color makeup, and now was that our first glimpse of the killer? Sort of there, the legs. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why did we see that? At this point, we've never we've not seen anything of this killer. Why show, suddenly show us their legs? Well, I think you're seeing Annie's point of view, where okay. she sees that she's she cuts to the right, and she's kind of looking back and seeing that the killer is cutting to the mm-hmm. right as well. Uh oh. How weird must it be for her in this situation to be looking up at a, at somebody like Mrs. Voorhees in this scenario? Yeah. Now that did not look at all like a Mrs. Voorhees. No. <laughs> that was a big, strong back that we just saw there. So, in its defense, when you when we get to Betsy Palmer, yeah, she was a strapping woman Fair in enough. her late forties. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's they got away with. Uh, a lot of the POV shots are either Tom Savini. Her late 40s. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Because she looks like we're in our eight, we're late 40s and she, she does not look, she looks much older than we do. So we've talked about this before yeah. on the show where people in the 70s, like these guys are all probably 21, 22. Right. They all look like they're 30. Yeah. People in the 70s looked older. It's bizarre. And I don't know why. But it's just it's just a thing. And, you know, even when my mom turned 40 in 1985, and I, I look back now and I'm like, oh, my God, she looked like a baby. She looked really young. But at the time, you're like, oh, my God, they're so old. And now it's like, oh, okay, well, this movie's older than that. <laughs> <laughs> and now they kind of know something's going on. They see... Something, but they don't know what. So that's kind yeah. of, you know, there's. They should be aware of their surroundings, but they're not, mm-hmm. and that's why they all die. Well, there's no kids are there. Why should they have to pay attention right now? <laughs> this is true. 
I like the Speedos, too. Harry Crosby. Oh, wow. There's Kevin yeah, Bacon. That is, uh... first almost glimpse of Kevin Bacon's dick on celluloid. <laughs> yeah, considering that is a meme of the show, it's it's quite notable. Yeah. And there he goes on a belly flop. Oh, my God, that must have hurt. Yeah, that looked like it hurt. Let's pull the canoe out slowly. <laughs> Gotta love the teamwork, though. I mean, they're all, they really are trying to save him. There is a vague effort in place, and then <laughs> she is the one to go. <laughs> he almost kills her with an arrow, but I'm going to save him because I think he's charming. And <laughs> There's Kevin Bacon's ass crack. <laughs> and Tamlin. Yes. Very pronounced. You don't think he's very tan until you see him. Crouching down like he's going to take a shit in a Japanese <laughs> toilet. <laughs> this is kind of, this is uh, a bit of a bit of foreboding. You know, the idea that this guy might be dead from drowning, considering. This has got to be triggering for Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. She should have just run out right then and been sympathetic and said, oh, how can I help? But she didn't. But there again, of course, this guy's a dick. He wasn't drunk. He was fine. They didn't need to do CPR about the mouth. He's just... But of course, she she finds it charming. Yep. Because this was written by a man. So now we're in Alice's cabin, and we're going to see a real snake. Real snake? Oh, wow. It's not a fake snake. It's, it's real. You can see it. It's alive. Uh, Tom Savini might be one of the masters of horror, but at 1980, he certainly did not know how to kill a snake on screen without actually killing a snake on screen. Oh, wow. So this is not going to get the Humane Society seal in the credits. Because <laughs> the snake is about to really die. Yes. This is a homeward bound situation where the animals do not survive. Yes. <laughs> now, one of the things that this scene is supposed to set up is, in the mystery is, is it Bill? Is he the killer? Because he's carrying a machete, and a lot of people die with a machete. Nice bit of visual foreboding. Yeah. <laughs> now, this scene kind of illustrates how Sean Cunningham had made a movie called Manny's Orphans, which was a comedy. Huh, okay. And it was apparently, a, I haven't seen it, but apparently, you know, it's a pretty decent comedy. Nothing groundbreaking or anything. It's basically a Bad News Bears ripoff. But there are some funny lines in this movie and some kind of endearing comedy bits. Oh, here goes this dead snake. Wow. It's like Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> Only if they skin it and eat it. At least we know what's for dinner. <laughs> Now, one of the things that I was talking about earlier is none of these none of these characters are, you know, like what you think of when you think of an 80s horror movie. You think of the blonde girl with the huge tits that may or may not be real right. running around, and all these Ooh, people look like normal that's... people. Yikes. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that is not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> This was 1980, before, uh, <laughs> before anybody knew the words cultural appropriation. 
Uh, we're only 11 years away from giant crowds and stadiums going, whoa. And, this is true. You know, making chopping noises, so. Yeah. People think racism was so long ago. <laughs> it's so needless, though. Like, it's, just, well, it's like, there's no reason for him to be doing this at all. Now, one of the things that always struck me, and it gets, like, every time I watch this movie, I notice a little more. All these these counselors and, or the, the summer camps and stuff, all were named after, like, Native American well, things. every state is named after. Yeah, yeah, I mean, every, It's a Native you know, American name. We have literally built this country on cultural appropriation. Yeah. So the fact that there would be an Indian headdress laying around, not surprising. Not surprising. Anything notable about the name Camp Crystal Lake? No, it's just that it's there's Crystal Lakes in it's like Springfield. Hmm. There's so many different Crystal Lakes. There's Crystal Lake, Illinois. Kind of allows you to think of this as just being anywhere. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was filmed in New Jersey. Um, they lean into that in part three, and a little bit. I mean, there's a sign in the uh, the convenience store that they go to that is Green Valley, New Jersey. Even though it was filmed in L.A. Mm. Or outside of L.A. I've actually been in that store. Oh. I did that on a Friday the 13th when I still lived in L.A. But there was nothing else to do during COVID, so. And I liked how he almost dumped that bike. Because he does not know how to ride that bike. (laughs) Let's get the guy who doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle to ride a motorcycle. Yes. You're the motorcycle cop. You're the motorcycle. You'll deal with it. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, it's all right. Oh. We don't have the money to teach you. Look, you know, and today, you see that basket of eggs? Think of how much money that is. <laughs> oh, we have the return of Crazy Ralph. That hat is doing a lot of work. Because <laughs> <laughs> only crazy people wear their hat like that, you know? Mm-hmm. He's also from a time where you're not allowed to be outdoors without a hat. Like, if you're, he's born somewhere in the 30s, 40s. Yeah. You can't be outside without a hat in that day and age. And this is the same hat he's had since the 1940s. Probably. What's funny is, okay, so our family growing up owned a restaurant. Everybody knows Sean and I are cousins by now, I think. And our family owned a restaurant with a bar in it in the basement. And growing up, there were three or four of these guys (laughs) in that bar every day playing cards with our grandpa or... You know, just coming down to, to drink their blackberry brandy with their shaky hands. There was one guy who... Oh, see, they're, they're in the Comanche cabin. Mm, of course they are. Yes. There's a guy that would drink his blackberry brandy with a straw out of his shot glass because he couldn't hold the cup because he had tremors because the, DT, the DTs were that strong. Mm-hmm. So he had to drink almost a whole bottle of blackberry brandy every day. Wow. Just to maintain. Although he never, you know, like he wouldn't walk up to us kids and go, you're all doomed. <laughs> there was one or two of those. Though. That was Bob. <laughs> no last names, but Bob would have done that. But, that uh, but Ralph is so good, though, that he becomes he becomes a trope that goes yeah. into other movies. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is... This was always 
you know, billed as kind of a Halloween ripoff. But aside from Dr. Loomis, there's no harbinger in that movie. Where you get to all the Friday the 13th movies have one. Ralph is in the first two. Then you have the random dude sleeping with an eyeball in part three. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and it just became a th- so much of a thing that Cabin in the Woods had the Stephen Lang looking, har- the Harbinger. They literally called him the Harbinger, telling them to turn back. What are we looking at here? You got a dark room. Well, they fi- this is where they learn that they have a generator. Oh. So with the generator, when the power goes out later, they have a place to go to turn the power out, power back on, and I don't know, maybe get murdered. Ah. <sighs> Mrs. Voorhees has thought of everything. She really has. There's a little. Whereas bit. her son just relies purely on brute force. Yes. Yes. Now, Marcy and Jack, young lovers outside on the shores of Crystal Lake. Inspiring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey in the future. Yes, except I don't think that (laughs) there's no scene in which they jump out of the water (laughs) holding each other up. Oh, but Ned. Ned's looking. Ned's a voyeur. (laughs) Ned's left out, and he must really love Marcy. Because he's dejected and they should be playing sad music over it. Now, Paul Rudd uh, stole this guy's look for Wet Hot American Summer. He did. Even his mannerisms, really. Mm-hmm. He played a psychiatrist on Another World later. A New York-based soap. Hmm. Oh. Who's watching him? Now we've seen the shoulder of the killer. Yes, you actually briefly see the killer's face. It's like we're seeing it's like we're seeing a puzzle piece. Puzzle pieces being put together. Yes. I mean, Friday the Thirteenth is just a movie where kids get murdered, mm-hmm. but it's also a fairly effective mystery. However, it's a cheat because you never see who the killer is until. The last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, in terms of mystery, we are wondering who the killer is, but we have no idea what their motivation is going to be or why they targeted these people. The only hint that we get is when the truck driver, Enos, is telling Annie, the first uh, modern-day murder victim, about all the stuff that happened. And that's, you know, he basically spells it out, but you don't know any of that because you've not met anybody that was affected by it. Uh, Betsy Palmer, who plays Mrs. Voorhees, she has said in many interviews before she passed away that she would she just wanted to be in the in the first diner scene, in the little corner store scene, because then hey, oh that's Betsy Palmer. Yeah. What's she doing here? You know, she could have been, she could have explained the stuff that the truck driver explained. And then there's a reason for her to be here rather than just showing up in the last eight minutes of the movie and being revealed as the killer. So. But of course, that would be uh, that would make sense. Well, <laughs> it's a Sean Cunningham choice. Uh, you know, there's a movie. Uh, is it was it was it Graduation Day, where Daphne Zuniga, uh, her mom is played by Vera Miles from Psycho and Psycho Two, 
and she's th- she's there throughout the movie, and spoiler alert, she's the killer. Ooh. But it makes sense because she's there the whole movie. Mm-hmm. But here, as much as I love this movie, that it is it is a cheat that shouldn't shouldn't exist. Yeah, because she you you should have all the information at the beginning, like the, a good the mystery. classic uh, what uh, Roger Ebert calls the economy of characters. Yeah. yeah. One of the ki- one of the killers should be among the group of people right. who are already there. You know, it's like any any decent murder she wrote episode <laughs> has that. You know, yeah. you meet everybody in the first five minutes. The first act is to set everybody up. The second act starts the murder. The third act it reveals the killer, and that is a cheat here. Horny Kevin Bacon. That's uh, that's fifty years of. <laughs> yes, I think I don't remember. I don't remember watching Animal House, but I believe this is the first time you see his ass. Kind I of. don't know if I know he gets spanked in Animal House, but I don't know if you see his ass in it. That's the whole. You know, thank you, sir. May I have another scene? Oh yeah, it's been a long, long time since I've seen that. Must be in his contract. I gotta show some body part. <laughs> he's not shy. No, no, he's not. And he's like I was gonna say a poor man's Nicholas Cage, but he's kind of like a rich man's Nicholas Cage. <laughs> he's terribly underrated as an actor. Yeah. Uh you know, I think there's a there's a point in the eighties where he just narrowly misses Becoming like a massive star, yeah. Like uh, Kevin Bacon never quite gets there. You know what I mean in terms of like uh, being a blockbuster. You know, there was never just that one role that turns Kevin. He was always a household name. Yeah, but even Footloose, like after Footloose, he just never makes that transition from from being a not a child star but like a teen idol into like a major major movie star. Well, I think he chose better roles. You know, he was, he's been in all these, you know, huge movies. He was in A Few Good Men, and everybody remembers Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise, and they don't even remember that he was in that movie. You know, yeah. it's like... But he chose interesting roles. He was in JFK. You know, he he, he chose stuff that was more character actor, because he, he's, he knows that he'll be around a lot longer if he's a good character actor. My favorite thing is, um, uh, my favorite Kevin Bacon movie is, is rather obscure. It's uh, Pirates with him and his wife, Kira Sedgwick. They play a, a couple who have a hard time getting together because every time they have sex, they set something on fire. <laughs> that's, is that the Walter Matthau one? Or am I thinking? I don't, that's... I don't know. Uh, Walter, I don't recall Walter Matthau, but yeah, that, it's, it's really funny. And he, he and his brother uh, perform uh, Tainted Love. In it, which is oh. really, it's a really good performance. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, here we get horny Kevin Bacon, and we're about to see some ass. Not a lot, though. <laughs> we are coming up on the, on arguably like the most iconic kill in the movie. I mean, at least in terms of because it's him, probably. Yeah, I think he's talked about it so many times. Oh, there we go. There's Kevin Bacon ass. Get the wrong angle, wrong angle on that. She's squeezing it after. We almost got way more. 
right? an insight into Kevin Bacon. She just a finger slip. <laughs> finger I think they're having sex for the first time, so I don't yeah. know, maybe. Oh, we find out what happened to Nettie. Oh, poor Nettie. They are fucking right underneath him and have no idea. No. Peripheral vision is not something that characters... <laughs> and again, what I said earlier about awareness, yeah. it's not that they're having sex, right. necessarily. It's that they are unaware of their surroundings because of the fact that they're horny. I, and I don't disagree with you. I, I think there's absolutely something to that. But also, I think there is something to the sort of... Not puritanism. What am I looking for? The sort of... there's. There's almost a conservative streak running through horror movies that that uh, certainly I think maybe becomes more prominent in the '80s under Reagan. Oh, it, I and I don't know like the, for this particular movie. I don't. This was filmed in '79, released in 1980, but I don't think this had. This wasn't a morality tale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, kind of was a kind of became a morality tale in. You know, Mother Superior saying punish anybody who's having sex and you devils and all that. Whereas this is just, you want to see people having sex on screen. He, You know, Sean Cunningham and Wes Craven made that softcore porn <laughs> movie too before right. they made Last House on the Left. But What's the most interesting thing people can be doing before they die? You know. I mean, they're playing Strip Monopoly here, so... <laughs> that's that's quite the innovation. I mean, instead of cash, you pay with clothes. <laughs> but I, I think they're all likable. Yeah. They're not, you know, like, the remake from 2009, there wasn't really anybody who was likable. Not at all. Not the least bit. Um... I had a terrible experience seeing that movie for the first time. A, because it wasn't really a remake of Friday the 13th. It was a remake of the first four. Kind of all jammed into one with a weird subplot. Yeah. Um, But nobody was likable. Even the hero wasn't likable. Oh, here we go. This is where Kevin Bacon gets it. So... The entire time they were, ha- the entire time they're having sex, Mrs. Voorhees has been underneath the bed, waiting to stab him. No, I think what, <laughs> ha- what happened is she was setting this up. She was going to kill them regardless. Right. She killed Ned in that cabin. Yeah. And she put him on the bed, and she was getting ready to display him because that's a thing in the Friday the Thirteenth movies uh-huh. is displaying and. All the bodies. Um, and that's... Give Tom Savini a room to work, yeah. Yes, yes. But I took it as she was doing... She was, you know, putting Ned in the bed so that he, they'd find him later. And they came in, so she just hid under the bed. And she, you know, had an arrow or... Now, the physics of how she did that <laughs> is absolutely impossible. <laughs> right. But it makes for a really cool murder. And he's told the story a hundred times about how she, um, the the blood mixture got yeah. in his mouth, yeah. yeah, and it was carob syrup, food coloring, and photo uh, 
developer Ew. to make it a little slicker. Mm-hmm. So they thought he, they weren't sure he was going to live. Oh, God. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. Now tell the story. Do you know the story behind the choice to that that sound the the that comes to be a, yeah the sound that comes to be associated with Jason? So the uh, Harry Manfredini, who did the music for this, he wanted he wanted you to know the killer was around. And whenever the killer is around, you hear that sound, and it's kick kick And he he had what was called an echoplex. And in one scene where uh, Mrs. Voorhees says, killer, mommy, killer, he took the ki and the ma, and he just repeated those sounds, and he just liked the way it sounded. So that was just kind of a little layout motif showing that the killer was watching, mm-hmm. or the killer was around. So if you see a subjective point of view without somebody about to be murdered, you don't hear that. But when the killer is there, you hear it. So, so like right now, Mrs. Voorhees isn't watching her. We are watching her. So you don't hear that. The only difference, camera-wise, though, is just sort of, it gets a little bit shakier from the perspective of Mrs. Yeah. Voorhees. It goes in from a, like more of a static to a handheld. Yeah. But I, th- I, I, I do like I like that part of. You know, the lore of the movie is when the killer's around, you hear that. And that changes over time. So in uh, part five, which I hope we'll do this for that movie, too. I love that one. That's so fucking bonkers. So now you're hearing, kick, 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 mama. And that's because Mrs. Voorhees is paying attention to her. This is my favorite kill of the movie. Okay. Um, But in part five, because you think Tommy is the killer from part four... It's kick, 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 da, 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 da. So kill Tommy, kill, you know. So. Yeah, that's a whole fucked up scenario where they, yeah. had, they had an idea of what they wanted to do, and then the studio's like, fuck you, give us Jason. Yeah. I just, I love this cat and mouse right here, where you're kind of, and then. The thing about it is, is this isn't necessarily unmotivated whereas when you go into the future and so much of this shit is entirely unmotivated and like anytime this happens in a ghost movie the thing I hate about ghost movies is all the dicking around you know the turning the cross upside down and yeah. the tossing things around the room and shit and just get to the point if you need to do something do something yeah <laughs> can't stand that that's why I, I, I get the controversial opinion of hating the conjuring movies because of that nonsense. Because that fucking bullshit about we got to turn the pictures upside down and draw... I'm going to draw a picture on this and this thing is crying blood, whatever the fuck. You know, like, just get to doing what you're doing, man. Yeah. Or if you're, you're going to do that, establish that I need to create fear in order to gain power. Like, is that... I Maybe that's implied, but it's not very well... Not, not very well implied. Yeah. I... I wish I was more of a believer like in God and all that stuff because then to me ghost movies would be scarier and there would be stakes yeah like The Exorcist it's a feel good comedy to me <laughs> see I don't love The Exorcist either <laughs> which is something I get a lot yeah I don't know what I've gotten more hate for it's like not liking The Exorcist 
or only kind of liking Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I would love to see that movie. So we'll really? Oh wow! Oh, the Blairstown Diner, where you get to meet Sandy. Tell us about Sandy again. Oh wow, she is a character. Sandy is absolutely somebody we grew up with. <laughs> our, again, our family's own, our family owned a restaurant. Yeah. In various permutations through the years. And she's like an amalgamation of some of the waitresses that worked at Kernan's. So. I'm getting strong flow from Alice vibes. Yes. Now, this actress, uh, Sally, is, uh, it's escaping me right now, but I've actually did a sticker design of her that sells pretty well in buttons. <laughs> um, she was also in Alice, Sweet Alice, hmm. where she played a prison matron or a cop. She's got a strong look. Oh, yeah. Like, a, that is a strong look. She is a face. Yeah. She is a face. So, of the, of the cast of the original Friday the 13th, who's out on the convention circuit? Uh, Adrienne King. She does... I actually met her. She, I've got a signed photo. Uh, we exchanged some stuff. I did, I did a print of her and gave her a couple copies, so she brought me a, a signed print. Or assigned uh, uh, photograph. Uh, she does them. Um, I, from the original, I think she's the only real one who does anything. Hmm. Um, I feel like Kevin, a lot. I mean, Sandy has passed away. Ralph is dead. Uh, uh, Brenda is gone. And I think they've. You know, a lot of them have done. The events, yeah, at like Blairstown, at the uh, obviously Kevin Bacon is too big a star to do much of like he's not going to go out on the convention circuit. Well, I mean, you'd be you really like Kathleen Turner did Days of the Dead a couple years ago. Hmm. You know, and I mean, she's still considered a star even though she doesn't do that much. Yeah, but you know, she's somebody I never thought I would see, but I I had her sign my. Serial mom print that I made specifically because I heard she was going to be there and I was doing that convention. Um, it's funny. It, it's is this the cocksucker residence and she's on the phone and I made I had made the sticker before but I made the the print so that she would sign it and she she looked at it and she goes, you know this is the only time I've ever said that word in my entire life. <laughs> I was like, sure, Jan. <laughs> Quite the actress, then. <laughs> uh, oh, Mrs. Voorhees is still in the shower. Is she going to kill Brenda? At this point, by this point, no, nobody from the... nobody. Once we've gotten past... Uh, the cook being killed. Nobody's really taken center stage. Well, Alice, she had the scene earlier with Steve. Um, she seems to be the most self-aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see, you think Annie's going to be the the lead when she is going to the camp, and then she gets murdered, like Marion Crane. And Alice is kind of the 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 nicest girl. Mm -hmm. 
She's not like Lori in Halloween, whereas you don't follow her throughout the entire movie. But you do see... You know, she's the she's the one who never quite gets her top off during Street yeah. Monopoly. Mm-hmm. The door bursts open and saves her at the last minute. Not much to say about this. <laughs> We're just watching the guy be stuck in the mud. Well, this is the this is the scene where Steve Christie is getting picked up uh, by the cop, who's going to give him a ride back to camp, and he kind of gives you the reason it takes place on Friday the Thirteenth at least. So. Ah. Sergeant Tierney. Yeah, you kind of need that because at this point we've still not even introduced the concept of Friday the Thirteenth within the movie. Except in the title card, when she, when Annie's walking yeah. into Crystal Lake, the town, you know, you don't know, you wouldn't know it. Yeah, there's nothing about this that says it's Friday the Thirteenth, nor gives any importance to that date. Yeah, and again, we find out at the end why it's Friday the Thirteenth. You know, what about this date means anything to anybody? It's the date her son died. Yeah, well, no, it was his birthday. Oh, his birthday, okay. Yes, Jason Voorhees was born on June 13th. Okay. Now, there are, like, you know, there's a few timelines out there. If you're going by the strict timeline of when this takes place, when, you know, like, when this movie, it comes out in 1980, so, you know, in part four, they kind of retcon it a little bit that this is 1979, not 1980. Uh, based on a on her tombstone that you see, um, the the timeline is a little iffy. So Jason is either some people think he's seven or eight, some people think he's twelve. So he was either born in you know nineteen forty five or nineteen fifty. You know, it's it really so he's old now. But I think that, you know, with... There are stories that could be told with, you know, within this... And there's supposedly a TV show that they're mm-hmm. developing about Crystal Lake. Yeah. Which pisses me off because I've been writing one for like two years. <laughs> um, the... You know, there, there are timelines that you can go into. It's not... This is a pretty straightforward timeline compared to like the Halloween movies or the Texas Chainsaw movies where it's like, oh no, we gotta start we're starting over, so there's this whole other Michael Myers. Let's see she's in the Seneca cabin. <laughs> This is a well set up scene here. <laughs> I honestly. Yeah. Like this would be terrifying if you thought somebody was outside your cabin and they weren't you know, revealing themselves. Yeah. And... Well they're in distress and it's a child. Yeah. You think it's a child in distress. I mean that's really what it sounds like. But the yeah, the darkness with the rain, it's got a great look. Mm-hmm. 
and she's not in a t-shirt and panties, which is like what you would, <laughs> like you would expect of so many other horror Like movies. in the remake, you know, they're yeah. like going out there in booty shorts and <laughs> crop tops. The, the, her, her nightgown is becoming form-fitting because of the rain, but only because of the rain. So at least there's a reason. Yes. Like, it's not necessarily gratuitous in that way. I mean, she's literally the most covered up of anybody in this movie. <laughs> I do, I love, like, I love the way the, the flashlight and the rain work together mm-hmm. there. And then that is such a great reveal. Yeah. That the lights, she's turning back. on the lights like that. And she's back in the archery range. Yeah, now of course he, he's... She's thinking of Mary. Uh, she thinks it's Ned. Yeah, this isn't funny. She's really good in this movie. I think you know she's very, she's natural and believable, and I like the way the score. Like, this is all really, really good stuff in, the, in this sequence. I think basically from when the when the killing start in this movie. The setup is good, but I think when the killings start, you really start to. It's it's a lot easier to get into, mm. you know. And it's he does know how to do this. Mm-hmm. A moment for us to kind of calm down and decompress from that. Mm-hmm. Well placed. That's what you want to do in horror movies. You want to, you know, it's like a, it's like a comedy. You want to have that big laugh, and then you kind of let it go, and you, you wait for the next setup for the next joke. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with horrors. You're setting up the next kill, the next suspenseful moment. Okay. Now is it Bill? Because he was just out there. Yeah. You never know. Bill, who looks a little like Bill Maher, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's cuter than that. Bill Maher is ugly as hell. That's just his soul shining through. Well, inside and out, I was going to say. <laughs> you can come. Now, this is the... the kind of prelude to the find your dead friends routine that they go through in every horror movie. One of the things that always bugged me about, and still bugs me about, because I'm not a, obviously not a fan of the Halloween franchise, but this notion that uh, of the way that Jason, or, or, sorry, Michael Myers has to pose his stuff, like it makes him seem very stupid. It makes <laughs> him seem like a very dumb character. It was like, I've killed these people, now I have to to arrange them in a in a clever way. <laughs> I hate it so much. I mean, no killer is doing that. <laughs> unless, you know, it's like some ritualistic thing. It goes back to being completely unmotivated. Yeah. I mean, if Michael Myers is just a straight ahead, you know, I'm, I'm crazy and I kill people guy, why is he posing bodies? Right, right. It kind of get like the the whole playful Jason, or the playful Michael thing is just very funny to me. I'll never stop hammering that yeah, that yeah. that line because it's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, there's there's no reason for it, and I. I'm gonna go stand outside of a school. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you're if you're if you really want to terrorize people. Yeah. 
Sure, but that's not that never seemed like his motivation. He just had to kill. Mm-hmm. You know, Mrs. Voorhees, she's trying to terrorize these people a little bit. She hates these people because they killed her son, or they let her son die. She's also, like, what, been crazy living in the woods all this time? You think? I mean... <laughs> I may or may not have written some stuff, yeah. you know, like, kind of setting this up and how... I mean, if you want to... Like, I can buy into the idea that, that Mrs. Voorhees was triggered by seeing people back at Crystal Lake, because yeah. that's, you know... She, she ran them off so many years ago. Yeah, several times, you know. Jason died in 57. And Victor Miller, who wrote this, who also wrote on Another World, uh, he has said, when this movie opens, Jason is dead. He is not alive. There is no reason. This is not a, that was not a setup for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, he is dead. So he died in 1957. In 1958, Barry and Claudette, who are the counselors at the beginning, are murdered. And they decide to close the camp, and they're going to open it up again in five years. She's poisoned the water. She will not let anybody reopen this camp as long as she's alive. And you, you just picture her alone in her house... Crying all the time and screaming and being mad about the fact that they're, they're not, I'm not going to let them open up this camp again. Yeah. You know? And that was a big thing in the 80s with horror movies. And this, this is, you know, Halloween was 78, but that was 15 years later he came back to kill. It's always, in the 80s, it's always 20 years. So this is 22 years. 23 years, depending on which timeline you're going with, but... And here we have the Friday the 13th exposition dump. <laughs> a full moon on Friday the 13th. This really, I, 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 one of the things I like about the idea of Camp Crystal Lake is that it's a small town that everybody knows each other, and yeah. you would think that, you know, later on Steve's going to see the killer and be like, oh, hi, it's you, but you don't know who it is, you know? Yeah. So it's like, by then we know it's none of the counselors, and it's not, you know, I think it could still be Bill by that point. Well, I'm just gonna dump dump a guy on the side of the road, like. <laughs> well, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the luck. We'll see you in the morning. <laughs> or your corpse. We'll see you. We'll see your corpse in the morning. <laughs> oh God, '70s cop cars. I have that sign. Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake. I think most people who yeah. shop at Spirit Halloween in the last five years have that sign. Do you have that on a sticker? I don't. I don't. I should, but I yeah. don't. I do like the, again, here's another good use of darkness, mm-hmm. the moonlight, and and his bright yellow coat. Yeah. And then this flashlight to uh, blind him is a, a smart play. 
And since he knows her, he's fine. Yeah. You know, just walking right up to her and getting stabbed in the chest. Uh-oh. What's she doing now? Now, also, like, it's also very believable how how she's able to get around because they don't pl- try to place her in, in places where she's not one place and then magically in another. Yeah. Where it, like Jason. Jason later. often, yeah, yeah, he's magically, he magics himself around. He's a, he's Carl Lewis. It's <laughs> just unstoppable. They do try to turn that into to like a trope of his that he can just... Yeah, he just some, kind of appears. He magically can walk faster than you can run. Yeah. And it's not a great trip. No, and they try, they try to retcon it in the um, in the remake, where there's a series of tunnels underneath, and mm. I'm just like, that's not a thing. Stop answering questions we're not asking. We don't, we don't care. We want Jason to just pop up anywhere. Yeah, that's what's scary about Jason is he just pops up anywhere with a machete. Um, you know, I just you don't need you don't need to know that he just shows up. Um, this is a small one location and you know that she worked here and she lived nearby and she was always around the woods. So she knows how to get around quickly. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. There is one thing I call bullshit on this movie. Okay, go ahead. She's on a wicker sofa and it makes no noise whatsoever. <laughs> Every time she moved, that thing would make him cry. <laughs> Wicker furniture is not everyday use furniture. Unless you're the Golden Girls. <laughs> and that's an extremely expensive Wicker furniture now that they that they had. I looked into getting some. Mm. So now we know that Alice is the main character. Because <laughs> she's about to be the only one still alive. And we and we know that Bill is not the killer now because he was in the cabin with her when Steve got killed. So yeah. who's the killer? Is it Crazy Ralph? Of course not. We've been talking about it the whole movie. We're getting to that point now where we can start asking the question, how do we end up where we end up with, uh, with Jason? Or Jason's arrival. Well, again, this movie, Jason was dead. Right. That's the whole motivating factor. And when he jumps out of the water at the end of this movie, it's her dream. She's just dreaming about it. That's why they're all like, what are you talking about? Um, now... They were trying to think of a way to end the movie. You know, they've revealed the killer. They've killed the killer. What do we do? Well, they just seem Carrie. Where at the end, Amy Irving is going to lay flowers on the remains of the house. And Carrie White's hand comes up and grabs her. And she goes into hysterics. And that was like, let's do that. So they did it. Um, and Ari Lehman plays Jason. Or is... We like to call him worst. He said first Jason. Everybody says worst Jason. <laughs> the guy is creepy. Oh. Um, I, uh, I like to think that if Jason were alive, he would have found his mother. And this would have never happened. 
You know, he uh-huh. nice little deformed boy can stay home with mom and you know not go back to camp or whatever. However, um, in the years that this has come out, you're trying to like, okay, well, why would he not? Everybody asks that question. Why wouldn't he just like go to his mom? So you, you have you, we've had to make make up stories within the fandom. Uh-huh. Well, he was abused by other kids constantly. Uh, they teased him because he was deformed. Yeah. Um, you know, why Why would he, you know, maybe he knows his mom is crazy. Maybe it's hereditary. Maybe that's why he hides in the woods and comes back and... Uh, my retcon was always supernatural. I just, I just assumed he came back from the dead. He, it's not supernatural until six. You know, because Jason is like... Now, one of the, I, since they're doing the TV show, they're not, you know, we're obviously not, my friend and I are not going to get our <laughs> idea done. But one of the things was that Jason was a kid who always healed well. You know, he was, he was advanced for his age. Like, he was a year old and he was walking and talking like a normal kid, you know, not a toddler. And... He'd fall down and he broke his arm and it was healed in a, two weeks. You know, he just, he, it wasn't supernatural. It was just hypernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how kind of how we justified why he keeps coming back. And I, I think that, that that's, I, I guess, as, as good of an explanation as, as any. Um, now, we also had it that his parents were brother and sister. They didn't know it until after she was pregnant, hmm. which is why he's got the face he has. Um, now we are into final girl territory with Alice. And again, this effective use of just very limited light, bright yellow coat. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think the costuming gets enough credit and uh, the way he uses it, you know, mm-hmm. fully framed in black. It's it's a great way to hide everything and to create a sense of tension. Yeah, because you don't know what's in the dark. Yeah, it's all dark. And who's not afraid of the dark? Right, at least a little bit. It is. It's a it's a primal thing to to mm-hmm. feel, you know, to to have that sense like it's very dark. I can't see what else is in here. Now, okay, the big reveal. Bill has an arrow in his penis and his eye. And if you look closely while you're watching this, you can actually see his eye move. Kind of gets, though, into that, uh, how, into her super strength, though, doesn't it? Yeah. That he's hanging from that door. Well, like, again, eh, she's you know. she is not presented as a small woman mm-hmm. in this movie. You know, and then part of it is she's wearing like 16 layers of clothes. She's wearing a black turtleneck, a plaid shirt, another, you know, another shirt, and then mm-hmm. a sweater. And so, um, you kind of, uh, again, you do that kind of fandom thing where she's probably, she has to do everything by herself. Cause she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a son. She lives by herself. So she has to, she drives a Jeep. She might be a lesbian. Um,. <laughs> You know, she's she's a strapping lady. Uh-huh. You know, you'll see the fight scene coming up with her and Alice. She's she's pretty strong. So 
It's not, it's within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> she literally cannot pull the curtains closed. How do you expect to be? Yeah, it? that curtain's going to hold him away. Yes. Hold him at bay for sure. <laughs> Definitely going to do a great deal of good with that with yes. that curtain. <laughs> and block it with a piece of wood. Oh, let's uh, keep blocking the door. An end table. <laughs> now, if you are blocking, if you are blocking the door with anything substantial, yeah, sure, maybe. Uh, the, uh, your time would be better dedicated to finding weapons. I think at this point, weapons in a hiding place. <laughs> And turning off the goddamn light. <laughs> it's like, this is a Looney Tunes homage at this point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Daffy Duck do this. Yes, right. The same idea. I mean, and Aaron King sells it. She yeah. sells the hysteric, like, I just found my potential boyfriend dead. What am I going to do? I'm going to, like, hide. I thought she and Steve were together. Well, I think she likes Bill, but Steve is that mysterious older man kind of thing, you know? Every woman just needs a strong older man. (laughs) Well, that's that's a movie written by men. (laughs) (laughs) By an old old man. (laughs) Yeah. Now she's looking for a weapon in the... Yes. A barbecue fork. <laughs> yeah, curtains. Uh, protective yes. <laughs> iron curtains. Oh. Definitely going to help. Terrific little... Just a loon. Just a little tiny bit of scoring, though. It's just yeah. really great there. Just a, a wonderful little piece. That's terrific. That is a terrific piece. Stop moving. <laughs> you're, you're a corpse. Don't move. <laughs> that's a no, see. That's a normal human reaction to what she's seen. Right. Right. Unlike so many other horror movies, like that, don't give like a realistic reaction to this. Yeah. Like, I, I I appreciate this. This, she, this would be desperately traumatizing, and of course you would fall down at this moment. Well, and again, these are theater actors who have been trained. Mm-hmm. They're not just somebody that the producer fucked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So she sees the same Jeep that left earlier, even though it's not. Yeah. Because why wouldn't... Two characters in the same movie have the same color jeep. <laughs> of course you would run towards that. That makes perfect it's... sense. Again, if we had had her in the beginning of the movie, yeah, as somebody sitting at that in that general store and being nice to Annie, yeah. Then, you know, this would have this would have seemed so weird. I agree, absolutely. 
Adrian King selling this hardcore. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm killer. <laughs> she does crazy eyes really, oh, yeah, really well. Yeah, yeah. Now you know the story behind why she did this movie, right? No, no. Her Mercedes broke down. <laughs> Okay. And she needed a she was going she needed a new Mercedes. Okay. In 1979, Mercedes were ten thousand dollars because uh-huh. all their cars were like forty bucks. So they gave her the script, and she said, "What a piece of shit!" <laughs> but they were going to pay her ten thousand dollars. Yeah. What she needed for her new Mercedes. Okay. So she did it, and she said years later, she's like. It's what I'm best known for. And I was on the Today Show and all these game shows in the 50s and people loved her. I really wish I'd gotten to meet her. She was just... For somebody who's just picking up a paycheck, she is deeply committed in this moment. yeah. Well, she didn't think anybody would see it. I watched every minute. He would... That smile. Yeah. Well, she has. It looks like she's got forty-five teeth on the top <laughs> and the bottom because she's got such a big smile that you know, combined with the crazy eyes. Well, look at the look at the look at her jaw. I mean, yeah. just the the tension she's carrying in her face is is incredible. And that far off look. She's selling the hell out mm-hmm. of this. This is a this is a reminder that so many so many actors, whether it's horror or not, and really more, most audiences as well, get caught up in the most acting and not the best acting. Yeah. Like because you can get caught up on somebody going big and broad, and there's certainly a place for that. There are movies where that is perfectly welcome, but not all the time. A lot of the times, I just I wouldn't necessarily call this subtle, but oh, it's not. She's not subtle. But she's not Vera Miles in yeah. Psycho 2. <laughs> she's not doing the most acting. Yeah. She's doing the best acting. Thesis statement. <laughs> <laughs> what you did to him. Like, there it is. Like, that's the, the crazy has finally been fully revealed here. And you get that she's probably has said that to everybody she's killed. Off screen, anyway. Yeah. But she's met her mash. And Alice does a smart thing. She goes to the car. Yeah. However, if she was really smart, she would have pushed that body out <laughs> and gotten behind the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a little convenient. That one, I it's, like. This uh, is the. This is the. Let's. This is Tom Savini showing his work. Yeah. And it's what I always call the find your dead friends routine. Right. You know, Lori did it in Halloween. Alice is doing it here. Um, you know, they will do this in every Friday the Thirteenth movie. You'll lo- again the inky yep. black. I love that. Yeah. Now I don't know. I don't know necessarily if this was budgetary, mm-hmm. where they didn't have the light budget to like light the area a little bit. And this is we're watching this streaming, the mm-hmm. theatrical cut. 
And this is a little darker than some of the Blu-ray um, editions are. Not a lot, but a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you still, there, it still is that dark, dark black. An arsenal of guns, just like America, <laughs> except the bullets are all locked up. Why do they have an arsenal of guns? Well, it's a I don't think. That, I don't think that. I think it's you know they have a shooting range and stuff. Okay. It was a different time. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't. I haven't been to a Boy Scout camp in a long time because I'm yeah. not allowed. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, at least not the Florida ones. Uh, but now that desk that she's trying to get the bullets out of would absolutely not hold up if you were hitting it with a bubble gun like that. It would be easier for you if it was for That's where we get the sound. Oh, Fenda dropped it. Just hit her with it. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I like that little, she just yeah. brings her chin up like, come on, you're going to die anyway. This so. is, of course, incredibly reminiscent of Peeping Tom. Yeah. Not as, certainly not as skillful, but de no. absolutely reminiscent of it. And for a moment, we get, we turn into, we turn into Adrian instead of the killer. Yep. Yeah. As we, she gets the shape she can for just a moment. Yeah. Fine piece of scoring here. Bring it down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. You can sense the uh, the shifting of gears here. Yeah, she's she's gonna get away, isn't she? You know that realization that's on her face. I like this lighting too. I mean. That full moon, they they do great. They do a great job, even though it doesn't necessarily look like a full moon. Yeah, they've already established the idea of a full moon well enough. And when they, you'll see here in a second when they actually use the full moon as a, a little. There we go, a little motif. I mean, that's one way to do your interior, mon you know. Yeah. The interior monologue is to kind of just show it, but... I feel like I've also seen something like that similarly, like in, in movies from the 1950s, would do something yeah. quite similar to that yeah. to try and, you know, establish the killer's, uh, you know, inner turmoil and motivation. Yeah. We're back in the cabin... Almost pure black here, except for uh, you can see a teapot. Mm -hmm. And then it's sound design. Sound design is one of my favorite things about a movie. Yeah. Great sound design. Saw has incredible sound design. The sound design in Saw is actually better than any scare in that entire movie. 
This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where she's she finally gets a place to hide. And is she going to be found out? The way she's found out is just I just I it's one of those first moments like in Black Christmas when when they when Barb's getting killed by the unicorn hmm. and they cut back and forth yeah. where I noticed a, di- a direction I just imagine the direction for Betsy Palmer in this scene was just go crazy. <laughs> just, just break shit. Yeah. <laughs> How freeing for an actor. Solid use of uh, nature sound. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's getting away. And that little misdirect. Ah, then the handle starts to turn. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and now she's, she's full on crazy now. <laughs> that smile and that I've got you now. A little homage to The Shining. Came out the same year, though. Oh, really? So it's oh, not an homage. Oh, wow. This came out May, and I think the sh- when did The Shining oh, come yeah. out? Shortly after. <laughs> so this is this is the again this is the Lori with the knife in Halloween. Yeah. You've knocked her out. She's bleeding. She's got a machete. You pick up the machete and you kill her with it. Although Alice, I, I think that this speaks to Alice's character. She is not that person. No, no. She, unless she's absolutely pushed to do it. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. She's a good virtuous one who, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly unless she absolutely had to. I mean, I wouldn't know how to, I mean, I'd try to defend myself, but I wouldn't know how to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> so you want some pointers? <laughs> This is what gets me though. Is like, again, it's a trope now. Mm-hmm. But what do I do? I'm just sitting here, just staring off into space. When I don't know if she's really dead or not. But it gives you this this like great little shot that you're gonna. Ugh. just a bit of shadow reflection. reflection. And. I like how she was so strong throughout the movie, but Alice is slowly breaking her down, you know? Alice is kind of like, she's hit her a few times, and she's mm-hmm. got some good things in, and... Oh, I love that. Where she's just about to stab her with the oar. Yeah. This fight is great. It's so... It's realistic. Except that Mrs. Voorhees already has been established as having super strength. <laughs> No, again, I don't think it's super strength. It's strength because she's, you know, I love that. (laughs) She's she's a strong woman, but she's not super strong like Jason becomes in the later movies. And here we go. One of the best killer deaths of all time. 
Great reaction shot, and head is gone. And the hairy knuckles that belong to Tasso Stavrakis, <laughs> Tom Savini's <laughs> assistant. <laughs> and then she's like, yes, I did it. But then she feels guilty about the fact that she's happy that she cut this lady's head off. Yeah. It's a very strong machete. It's, but again, it just speaks to speaks to her being a good person. Like, yeah. no good person wants to do that. Yeah. No good person is going to feel okay about doing that. Not sure where she thinks she's going in this fucking canoe, but I mean... Well, I... I... <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard, you know, like, oh, she just has to get away from. She doesn't want to yeah. see this body, and I mean, we know it's just a director's choice to like. Mm-hmm. This is setting up the ending. Yeah, the like the jump scare. This is not, you know, a a rational thing. Like I would, of course, gone back to the car, pushed Annie's body out, but. This is movie logic, so... Mm-hmm. The ironic score. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the fake-out. <laughs> you know, they're like, everything's okay now, you're fine. The cops are here to save you. Mm-hmm. It's the next morning. Now, in our uh, in our story that we we're writing, these cops come up and they find her body, but not her head. Mm. Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. To setting up that Jason has already taken it. <laughs> that is a lovely composed shot. Oh, yeah. I will say that. Also, I think Pearl kind of homages that shot, or, or I mean, X kind of homages that shot as well. Yeah. It took them so long to film this. You can see the leaves are starting to turn. <laughs> she looks crazy. Well, she's... I mean, <laughs> she's been through it. She's been through it. And... Worst Jason. I'm sorry, first Jason. <laughs> so is he a jerk at conventions or something? I was the first time I met Mark Patton. We were having a lovely conversation, and he just kept trying to get in the middle of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's very he leans into the fact that he was the first Jason a lot. Uh, uses that to pick up women. Uh, a friend of mine shared with me a dick pic that he said, "Oh, her. that is the most disgusting penis I've ever seen in my entire life." <laughs> oh, I like watch the nurse here. She's going to look right at the camera. Wait, am I in a movie? Am I in a movie? No. Oh. Oh. Oh, shit. I'm in a movie. That's a camera. Uh, you know what Thanksgiving when you're cooking a turkey and you pull all this stuff out of the end and then you've got the turkey neck? <laughs> yeah. That's what his dick looks like. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's the most disgusting penis I've ever seen in my entire life. Really I'm going to make sure to share it with you. I really never understood the dick pic as a as a... As a tactic. <laughs> so, guys love their dicks. <laughs> and I understand that, like, gay guys don't mind getting dick pics. They, like, it's kind of a requirement before meeting. <laughs> Women don't want to see your dick. Women don't 
want to see your dick. <laughs> Especially if you look like Ari Lehman. Oh, wow. And he's still there. Like, is she crazy now, or is she just... She's accepted the fact that Jason is still there. Mm-hmm. You know? She's just so pretty. I mean, she's just, like, naturally pretty. Great eyes. And having met her, she is just one of the kindest people. She's just... She loves the fact that she, that she was the first final girl in the Friday the 13th series. Um, she's an artist. She paints Alice a lot. Uh... Just one of the sweetest people. And there we have it. That is uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah, 43 years later and it still holds up. It's certainly better than I remember. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more appreciation for it this time than I have ever before. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I really... I do think it stands up. It is one of my favorites. I It's my favorite movie, horror movie series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's been 13 years since the last Friday the 13th movie. 13 years. Oh, boy. Almost 14. Um, and there's, you know, there's rights issues and mm. all that stuff that you know, Victor Miller has won the rights to the first movie, but not the sequels, or it's going back and forth. And yeah. You can, I mean, you can, if you go to Larry Zerner's blog about it, he played Shelley in part three. Uh, if you go, if you go to his blog about it, he explains it all very succinctly, and it's, it's a mess, and I really hope they get their shit together. Sounds like they might be able to because of the Crystal Lake series that's coming out. I think it's going to be on Peacock. Yeah. Um, Who owns the right to Jason? I think that's Steve Miner. Hmm. I think or uh, um, Sean S. Cunningham. I think in uh, Noel Cunningham, his son. I think the, the Cunningham family owns Jason, like the sequel stuff. Yeah. Anything that happened after this one, but it's hard to do. A story about Jason without, you know, that... I mean, there's there's ways you can do it. And yeah. I, I mean... Well, wrapping this up, just for people who don't know, what's the story with the hockey mask? Uh, do you want the behind-the-scenes story? Yeah. So they were... In part two, he has a sack over his head, which is very close to the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah. Or the Elephant Man. That was a big thing, you know, then. Um... And The Town That Dreaded Sundown should be a classic sometime. That's a weird movie. <laughs> um, but they were, you know, they were looking around and what do we do? Because, you know, he's lost the sack at the end of two. He's walking around without a, without anything for the first part of three. And Shelley, who Larry Zerner's character, who is loves to do FX and things like that. That's a running thing in this series, too, with people that love to do effects and masks. But he... Uh, he jumps out of Crystal Lake and grabs Vera, the girl he, he likes, grabs her ankle, and he's wearing a hockey mask. Mm. And then Jason gets it from him. Well, that was something that uh, some of the behind-the-scenes guys and the effects guys were into hockey, and they just happened to have a hockey mask. So like, well, we'll just throw that on Jason. Mm. 
and an icon was born. Weird. Such a weird franchise in that way, just because it's like you, everybody assumes, you know, you hear Friday the 13th, you see Jason in the mask, and that mask doesn't exist early on yeah for like a large portion of the, of the best part of the franchise right i mean it's it's one of those things where it's like okay jason hockey mask leatherface chainsaw michael myers white mask freddie razor glove it's just the iconography and it's all just because the guys who are working on the movie liked hockey <laughs> so hmm all right, well, you've been listening to uh, the Everyone's a Critic bonus podcast on this Friday the 13th as we're recording it. Uh, when you'll hear it, I don't know, but uh, it's Friday the 13th as we're recording it. and uh, we'll Release it in October, the next Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, thank you. <laughs>